Welcome to the Victory of the Lamb podcast. We are a simple, straightforward Bible teaching church in Katy, Texas. If you are in the area, we'd love for you to stop by anytime. Otherwise, we hope you use this podcast to grow in your faith and be confident in sharing it with many. You can find us online at VOTL.org. We hope you enjoy this message, and God bless your week. Dear Christian, grace, mercy, and peace be yours in abundance today as you consider God's blessing to you and his promises that will hold you fast all the time. Well, how would you do it if you were, it were you? How would you do it if you were the devil? Sinful people around God's word hearing about Christ's forgiveness for them and you wanted to rip their relationship with God to shreds, how would you do it? One of the devil's favorite and successful strategies is to use suffering in life to lead us away from God. He leads us to think, God isn't with you. God doesn't love you. Remember that sin over there, there, and there? He surely is snarling at you today for that. And apologizing won't help because he demands perfection. When we believe the devil's lies, we begin to see God as the opponent, as the enemy, as someone from whom we must hide, as someone from whom we must ward off somehow even though we can't because he's God. And so then, guess what happens? The time of suffering, during which we are doubting God more and more as the hours go by, becomes more suffering. Because that is the path of the one who doubts God. Thankfully, Jesus doesn't leave us alone in our trial. He continues to give us promises that are eternal and fail proof. And as we suffer, God's promises are our opportunity to listen to him instead of to all the chaos and the noise all around. God's promises are our opportunity to look to him in the time of trouble and actually grow closer to him through the time of trouble in spite of what's going on. Today, we have the opportunity to open the scriptures together, Genesis chapter 32, and we will see a man, Jacob, who was undergoing a time of moderate suffering and he was very afraid the moderate was going to ramp up to big time suffering in a moment's notice. How would he handle it? How would he listen to God's promises even though God appeared to be his opponent because of the suffering. Genesis 32 is what we get to explore today, the night that Jacob wrestled with God. Martin Luther said this is one of the most obscure sections of the whole Old Testament. And yet there is a lot that we can benefit from as we dig into these scriptures together. Now to understand why Jacob was suffering, it's very helpful to understand the background of what was going on. There is an intense night that you're going to hear about in Genesis 32. And here's what led up to it. 
back up 20 years before the intense night. And there was an another, another intense day in the house of the family of four. Parents, Isaac and Rebekah, and twin sons, Jacob and Esau. Esau was older. He was to receive the birthright, the favored gift for the firstborn son. And Isaac was going to give him that birthright. And so he lined up with his son Esau. I want you to go prepare a meal for me and then come back and I'll give you the birthright. Well, Mother Rebecca and God and Jacob didn't want Esau to get the birthright. They wanted Jacob to get it. And so they concocted a plan where Jacob acted like he was Esau. Dad Isaac was blind. Maybe we could fool him. And the plan worked. Esau gave Jacob the birth, I'm sorry, Isaac gave Jacob the birthright, thinking that it was Esau that he was talking to. And after that all happened, after that blessing was given, Esau came in from hunting with the meal prepared, and he said, Hey, Dad, I'm ready for the birthright. And Isaac said, Uh, I just gave it to someone else. Thought it was you, but... I guess not. It was Jacob. His cleverness category had gone off the charts and he tricked his father successfully to get the birthright. Well, what happened next? In this faithful Christian family of four was that Esau was consoling himself only at the thought of murdering his brother. That's what the scripture says. So Jacob left immediately with nothing. He just got out of there as fast as he could to spare his life from the hands of his own brother. He went to a foreign country where he had relatives living, and he worked for Uncle Laban for 20 years. And during those years, the Lord blessed him richly with material wealth. He had flocks and herds, thousands of them. He had two wives and 11 sons and many daughters. And then after 20 years of things going pretty well for him, in general, from an earthly perspective at least, the Lord told Jacob, I want you now to go back to the land of Canaan, and I will be with you. I will bless you. Well, Jacob perhaps tapped his toes a little bit. Well, things are going pretty good here right right now, God. Are you sure? But he listened and he left. So, Then came the night before the big day. The night before he would meet his brother Esau. You see, the name Esau had been on the back burner in his mind maybe for 20 years because hundreds of miles separated the two, but now it was coming to the front burner. And now he was going to have to meet his brother face to face. How's that going to go? Jacob sent out some messengers to get a feel for how Esau was in his heart. The messengers came back and said, your brother Esau is coming to meet you with 400 armed men. And the scripture records, in great fear and distress, Jacob hopped to it. He divided all of his flocks and herds and servants and people into two groups thinking, Well, if he attacks one of them, at least the other one, they can probably get away. 
And he set up hundreds of animals, over 500 animals in five different groups to one at a time, spaced apart, give Esau gifts to try to help him grasp. Jacob doesn't want to fight anymore. Jacob is surrendering, raising the white flag. Would it work? Would it make him more mad? You know how you're in some of those rocky relationships sometimes and everything you do, you like, I, I can't win no matter what I do. If I do something, if I do nothing, if I do this, I do that. I, there's no way I can control a good outcome here. That's how Jacob was with his brother Esau. He was helpless to control things. And even though all his life, he was pretty good, better than most, at coming up with some kind of clever plan to wriggle off the hook of danger. This was one time he couldn't wriggle off the hook. And so, it was the night before he was going to meet his brother. That's where we pick it up with our sermon verses. Genesis 32, verses 22 to 30. Listen as we find out what happened. That night... Jacob got up and took his two wives, his two female servants, and his eleven sons and crossed the ford of the Jabbok River. After he had sent them across the stream, he sent over all his possessions. So Jacob was left alone, and a man wrestled with him until daybreak. When the man saw that he could not overpower him, he touched the socket of Jacob's hip so that his hip was wrenched as he wrestled the man with the man. Then the man said, Let me go, for it is daybreak. But Jacob replied, I will not let you go unless you bless me. The man asked him, What is your name? Jacob, he answered. Then the man said, Your name will no longer be Jacob, but Israel, because you have struggled with God and with humans and have overcome. Jacob said, Please tell me your name. But he replied, why do you ask my name? Then he blessed him there. So Jacob called the place Peniel, saying, it is because I saw God face to face, and yet my life was spared. The sun rose above him as he passed Peniel, and he was limping because of his hip. Probable, by the way, that Jacob limped for the rest of his life because of that night. A constant reminder Therefore, to this day, the Israelites do not eat the tendon attached to the socket of the hip because the socket of Jacob's hip was touched near the tendon. So as I said before, Martin Luther said this is one of the most obscure sections of the whole Old Testament. It's really strange in some ways. But we have opportunity to not worry or dive into too much about the strange parts that are unanswered questions in all of the scriptures, but we can dive into the part that we do know. So what do we know about this? We know that the Lord appeared to Jacob as a man the night before he was to meet his brother Esau, having no idea how that was going to go, with hints that it was going to go really bad really fast because of those 400 men with him. We know that the all-powerful God lowered himself tremendously to allow himself to wrestle with Jacob and have it be a contest. 
The all-powerful God could have crushed Jacob in half a second if he wanted to. But he lowered himself to be a wrestling match with Jacob. Isn't that interesting? Yet he did not lower himself so far so that Jacob could trample him and steamroll him and then brag about it pompously. The Lord delights to give us blessings. The Lord also delights to keep us humble and in our place. We know that after Jacob's hip was thrown out of socket, the wrestling match was essentially over. And yet, how did Jacob respond then? Even though, I guess he had lost, in a sense, because he couldn't continue with his hip out of joint. What had God said? God had told him to kick this whole thing off. It was his idea, not Jacob's, to return back home. God had said, go back to the land of your fathers and relatives, and I will be with you. So no matter what's going on with Esau, Jacob clung to what was going on with God. And he said, I will want you, I want you to bless me. I will not let you go unless you bless me. Jacob held fast to God's promises that he would be with him through this episode, even though God appeared to be his opponent. Literally. And that is fantastic for us to think about. It produced, God's promise, I will be with you, produced a prayer in Jacob, because prayer is just talking to God. God promised, I will be with you when you go through this new time in life. And Jacob said, grabbing him, I will not let you go until you bless me. And then the simple words coming in verse 29. Then he blessed him there. God followed through on his promise, didn't he? That is so helpful, bolstering, solidifying for us to think about when we are navigating our own way through suffering in life. Because really, what was Jacob's biggest problem that night? His biggest problem wasn't Esau. His biggest problem wasn't protecting all of his flocks and herds and even his family's lives. His biggest problem wasn't coming up with a plan to wriggle off the hook with some clever way of deceiving, like he had done 20 years before with the birthright. Before Jacob could encounter Esau, Jacob first needed to encounter God. Because his biggest problem was not any of this out there, not any of that over the river with his brother and 400 men. His biggest struggle was, how am I going to trust God that he will be with me through this difficult, uncertain time? when I'm helpless and alone. God's promises, though, produced in Jacob persistent prayer. And God answered his prayer according to his promises, didn't he? In case you want to know how the story ends, Jacob met Esau. Esau really was glad to see his brother. All the grudge stuff had gone away, and he was very thankful and everything went fine in general. That's how, how the, 
part about Esau, the story ended. What about us? What promises do we cling to when life is uncertain, like it was for Jacob? When we know a few details, enough to be dangerous, and what we know doesn't make us feel good at all, and yet we don't know all the details and we never will. What about when we've had some suffering to deal with? When we've been praying for years for something to change and it doesn't? When we have a very difficult relationship, our marriage is hanging by a thread maybe even, and both you and your spouse aren't sure what to try next? What about when it's, it's uncertain as you look forward and even more uncertain as you look even more into the future and you don't have any control over any of it? There's all kinds of suffering we have in our lives and what about when you're standing at the graveside of a loved one or in the hospital room of a loved one and, and the suffering sure seems like it's not going to ease up. It's, if anything, it's going to get worse. What about all of that. God tells us there is now no condemnation for those in Christ Jesus. That applies every time now is appropriate, which includes then in those moments of uncertainty and challenge and suffering, which includes the future when the suffering might or might not get worse. God tells you the present sufferings are not even worth comparing with the glory that will be revealed in heaven. He thought enough about you and me to live and to die and to rise so that we could have heavenly glory to always look forward to. Glory that is so monstrous and magnificent. It's not even worth comparing to even the worst patch of suffering in your life. It's not even worth comparing to the worst suffering you could dream up. And it's not because the suffering is small and it's not because the suffering is painless. It's because the glory is that incredible. So how does this principle apply to our lives today? When you're facing an uncertain time like Jacob and you quickly size the other one up with the small amount of facts that you know and it seems like he's coming at you with 400 armed men and you've got two. You're outnumbered greatly. God's promises tell us, fear not, for I am with you. I have summoned you by name. You are mine. When you pass through the rivers, they will not sweep over you. God's promises produce persistent prayer in our uncertain time. We don't give up. And we say, Lord, you promised this will not sweep me away into anxiety and overwhelmed oblivion. I trust you. Lead me through it. And he will. What about when you're managing a rocky relationship like Jacob was and you really don't know the facts about what the other person is thinking and you have no control to change their mind? You can hold fast to God's promises like There is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. So even as you are managing the rocky relationship, you can know you do not have a rocky relationship with God. And you never will. Because now there is no condemnation. And you change your heart towards the other person 
where you want them to have that same peace that you have found. You realize that their rocky relationship with you is not the big deal. Their rocky relationship with God is the big deal, and you want to help them with that. Help them to treasure there is now no condemnation for those in Christ Jesus as you do. God's promises of no condemnation now help you to be fueled for persistent prayer. Because your greatest problem isn't them. It's, it's how am I going to trust God through this rocky relationship I'm dealing with? What about when life is just overwhelming in general and the suffering seems to ramp up and the, the things you hear about and see in the world make you anxious or, or they make you furious? Your biggest thing is not any of that. It's not. It's never going to be. Stop gathering details about this and that and this and that out there, which only makes you more anxious or angry. Gather details instead about God's promises for you, where he says, Fear not. Do not be dismayed. I will hold you with my righteous right hand. His promises will never fail. He will always hold us and lead us through no matter what is coming, no matter how we're suffering. Grab God's promises and don't let go. Grab God's promises no matter what comes, whether it's a time of relief or a time of suffering. Grab God's promises and know that as you grab God's promises, the reality isn't so much that you are holding Him fast, but that He will hold you fast. Dear Christian, drink that in and pray persistently. Amen. Time is precious. Thank you so much for investing some of your time with us today. Could I ask you for one more favor? If you're enjoying this podcast, please don't forget to click subscribe and give us a rating. Just a few seconds of your time will help other people hear the simple, straightforward Bible message we offer. Thank you so much. God bless your day in Christ.